So Andrew, our team has tracked over the past few weeks a lot of different activations and partnerships within the content and commerce space. Have you been seeing this too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the convergence of content and commerce is definitely one of our core themes that we cover at Rockwater that we help clients on. So always tracking those and definitely feels like over the past couple of weeks, been seeing a few big news stories around announcements of uh, deals, partnerships, acquisitions, and everything like that. So yeah, I'll go through uh, some of the recent announcements and then we could talk about what are the different structures that we're seeing in terms of building, buying, or partnerships between content and commerce and which ones do we think are best, pros and cons, and then where it's headed. So with that, let's get into it. Over the past few weeks, Shopify has partnered with Spotify to enable artist storefronts, and it's also announced a partnership with MailChimp, and I think TikTok over the past month as well. We also saw Walmart partner with Netflix to create a Netflix-branded storefront on walmart.com, organized by IP. And in addition, another partnership with Walmart and Barstool, which builds upon past kind of media brand partnerships with Camp and Tasty from BuzzFeed. So a few stats on the Barstool partnership, sold 150,000 units of Barstool's pizza within the first 10 days of launch. And on BuzzFeed Tasty, I think they sold 5 million units of Tasty cookware with just the first year of launch. We don't have any data, I think, on how much Squid Game product has been sold, but just to get a sense of that we think the numbers are going to be pretty eye-popping. Sales of white vans have increased by 7,800% since the show debuted, right? Pretty impressive stuff. We also saw that Cameo acquired Represent, which is a celebrity merch platform, and that Fanatics, I think like a 15-year-old sports commerce company, is exploring the acquisition of RSNs or regional sports networks. So it starts to raise the question, Andrew, of why is this interesting? And what's one of the questions that stands out to you? Yeah. So what was really interesting to me about this is that it shows this kind of convergence between content and commerce happening through a few different models. You're seeing acquisitions, you're seeing partnerships and outright builds. It's interesting because it's something that we talk to clients and help them work through a lot at Rockwater. You know, we work, we specialize in this convergence of content and commerce. We often help commerce brands expand into content and content brands expand into commerce. And you know, the difficult question is always how do you do it via uh, buy, build, or partner? And it's really, there's no one size fits all solution. There's no silver bullet. It's really case by case and there's pros and cons for all. So yeah, so to me, I think it's interesting to see a couple of different cases represented here. And Chris, yeah, maybe we could just walk through it and break down in general the, the pros and cons of each model. Yeah. And even before doing that, Andrew, I think you're right that it is, you know, when we go to our clients and they're saying, okay, we want to enter this new market, do we build by partner? It's like, well, that's a decision that you're going to make a few times over a sequence over the next few years, right? So for example, I think like in the beginning, we often say, hey, your goal is that you want to build enterprise value for the company. You want to drive outsized revenue and financial performance, but you also want to be capital light and lean in the beginning. So from a sequence perspective, maybe doing partnerships in the beginning to learn, try things out that are low capital commitments. And then as you learn what's best fit and what's the opportunity for you, then you can think about maybe acquiring another company in this space or building out a dedicated team. So I think that's one important highlight before we dive into this. And then second, Andrew, I think like you said, it's very case by case specific. So for certain companies and in certain industries, there might be more acquisition opportunities out there than others. And so it's like, you know what? Like, yeah, it makes sense to buy. But if there's not a lot of acquisition targets, you might say, 
you know what, we really want to enter this new market or product category. And I guess we're just going to have to build the team to do that. So it is very circumstantial. It's important to understand. Well said. So maybe we can go through it. We'll start with buy, the acquisition route. You mentioned a few. So we, we see both content buying in the commerce and commerce buying into content. The more common approach that we've seen is commerce buying into content. So you mentioned Fanatics, the big sports e-com and merchandiser. They're looking at acquiring some regional sports networks. Hasbro, the major toy company. A couple of years ago, they bought Entertainment One, a major film studio. In terms of content buying its way into commerce, you just mentioned Cameo. They bought a merch platform called Represent. But we've also seen other examples of this, like Meat Eater buying first light. So if we were to break down this approach, the buy route of acquisitions, how do you assess the pros and cons? A few quick highlights here. So pros is buying is speed to market, right? When you compare having to build out a new business unit and hire a new team and really like build all those capabilities from scratch, getting to market faster by buying a company that has this unique expertise and all the operations set up and allows you to kind of enter the market and beat out your competition that isn't there is very valuable. And yeah, I think it's really hard to build these capabilities. Like if you're a content business, like your DNA is in creative and building amazing content experiences for audiences. That's very different DNA than building out a supply chain, developing product and getting in the hands of your consumers and vice versa. So I think some cons though to highlight is that there's often in M&A, there's an acquisition premium to take an asset off the table. You have to convince leadership, founders, uh, investors, and the board that it's like, hey, the value that you're going to get from us buying you versus you continuing to run your company, like you're going to have to pay up for that. And then you can enter deal conversations, Andrew, and a deal more likely than not is not going to get done because you got to reach out to the target. You got to go through their representation. You got to align on a growth vision, agree on a price, get a bunch of lawyers and accountants involved, do your due diligence, see where the bodies are buried. And at the end of the day, you might go through 18 months of talks and then a deal doesn't happen. And that's wasted time where you could have just said, should have just built this out ourselves. And then in addition, once you buy the company, almost in a way, that's like the easy part. Integrating the operations where you're aligning on the growth vision. Is the leadership going to come together? Is gonna, there going to be like one leadership from just the acquisition target or from the acquirer? How do you get the different teams and the cultures on the same page? And then the unsexy stuff like integrating offices and software. That's a lot to do there. That could, that could be a lot of friction. And that takes time and that takes money. The next approach of build, building it out themselves. So we see commerce building into content. Uh, most famous example being Amazon building out Amazon Studios, Amazon Prime Originals, Amazon Live, Shopify. Another example, they actually recently built out Shopify Studios, which is a film and TV studio. Mattel Studios, they are kind of emerging as one of the major creators of features with 17 premium films in development. But we're also seeing content building in the commerce. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Netflix announce that they're building out Netflix Shop. Food52 has done a really great job of building out their own owned and operated cookware line. So Chris, talked a bit about the pros and cons of buying a company. How about building into a new space yourself? So some of the pros here, it can definitely be cheaper than buying. You're not paying that acquisition premium, right? But we've seen the examples where actually like trying to build a team yourself can be more expensive. So that's one that there's nuance to. But another pro is that you can build as you see fit. So you can closely align the content team with the product development teams from day one, right? Where the content team is building out content that is getting consumer feedback and intelligence 
and also creating content that specifically highlights products that you feel are higher margin and are better for consumers. And that flywheel for how that all works together, you can set that vision from day one of when you're building and execute against that exactly versus trying to put these two different teams together that have been operating independently for the past five or 10 years and getting them to align towards the same goal. I think some of the challenges, though, is that when you're building the time to market can take a while, right? You're starting from scratch versus having a full-fledged operation from day one. Even though you're not paying an acquisition premium, the time value of that missed revenue can be very substantial. Also, I think there's challenges where if you're a commerce team, like being able to hire and enable content team members and to really understand that DNA and vice versa, that's really challenging, right? And we've seen a lot of leaders and a lot of companies struggle with this when they're trying to reach across into new areas of business expertise that is new to them. And there's a really big learning curve. Specifically, I think for a content team that's trying to build out a supply chain that is very robust, that can put product in the hands of consumers in a variety of different geographies in a timely basis, that's also really smooth and capital efficient, like I was saying in the beginning, that is not easy to do. And I think we're seeing in the current you know, supply chain troubles that we're having that really nailing that is really key if you're a modern commerce company. Anything that you feel I missed there, Andrew? No, Chris, I think that was well said. So now... The last model in this buy-build partner scenario is partner. Last but definitely not least, feels like it's the most common one that we see, probably for a reason. You mentioned a few up top. We saw Walmart partnering with Netflix and Barcel, Shopify partnering with MailChimp, TikTok, and Spotify. So how would you break down the pros and cons here? Yeah, I think this is pretty straightforward, right? Looking at the partnerships, the pros is... Just you know, stick to what you know and what you do best, right? So if you're a media company, you develop and you create content. If you're a commerce company, you develop product and you have a supply chain to put it in the hands of consumers. And so I think that can be very powerful where that's going to allow you to get to market sooner and delight customers because like everyone on that joint partnership team is in a lane where they have the experience and the pedigree and the focus that they're very comfortable with, Right. I also think another significant pro is you're learning before future investment. So again, you want to stay capital light in the beginning. You want to learn before you're putting more capital to work. Partnerships are a great way to do this, to enhance your capabilities very quickly. I think some of the challenges, though, is that like, if the long-term goal is driving enterprise value and outsized revenue and margin performance, you're not necessarily going to get that from a partnership in the beginning, unless you're an amazing negotiator, right? So on a typical licensing deal, a media company might only get like three to eight percent of revenues that you're generated, yet you're doing all the work of building out that audience. I think that's okay for maybe the first couple of years, but then thereafter, you want to think about revisiting that deal or maybe building or acquiring the functions that you need. I think a second con, Andrew, is that it's dangerous to become overly reliant on third-party partners, where if you are a commerce company, for example, you may not be getting access to all of the audience data that you're looking for. And as a media company, you may not be seeing all of the credit card, the transaction data of and everyone who is actually making the end purchase. That's really valuable to understand your end consumer and how to better delight them going forward. And I think another risk that's also part of this is you might see your partner start to invest in some of these capabilities in-house and your partner today 
could be your competitor tomorrow, particularly as the content commerce landscape continues to consolidate. Yeah, I think that's probably why we see partnerships as the most common route. So then looking at, all right, which model will win out? It's probably not as simple as just picking one, but you know, a dynamic that I've been thinking about is it's actually easier. And this might be a broad generalization, but for content companies to be successful at commerce than vice versa, because it's really hard to make content that people actually care about. And once you've done that, Selling them the products is actually the easy part. Although, and we'll get to this in a second, it's the actual business logistics of commerce that are really the hard and expensive parts. Like you look at Nelk, he's a YouTuber with 7 million subscribers. He generated $70 million in merch sale revenue last year. And so that is purely a product of him being able to market and to generate an audience. You're going to be hard-pressed to find a commerce company who can just, in one year of merch sales, get up to 70 million, but that's kind of the power of building an audience. And when you look at the other way around, it's tough for commerce brands to just like flip a switch and build that muscle and start building audience. We have actually seen a a lot of in-house media brands from commerce companies that have folded over the past couple of years, like Mel Magazine by Dollar Shave Club. But here is the tough part. It's commerce companies are usually the ones with the capital to actually expand in their own and operated verticals that content companies don't. So when these mergers happen, it's usually the commerce companies that are buying the content companies. Like we said, it was Hasbro buying E1. It was Amazon buying MGM and Wondery and Audible and Twitch, Penn National Gaming buying Barcel. So a lot of times we do see these acquisitions happen because it's commerce buying out content. And I think a lot of times it is because it's just really hard for those companies to start creating content that entertains and delights audiences. I think right now, it's such a saturated consumer ecosystem with so many endless options that to actually get attention, get fandom, and make someone seek out your brand, your content against all others. Like You got to do it really well. And if it's not in your brand's DNA, it's really tough to, to just build that out. Andrew, so to respond to a couple of your points there, I think one, one of the toughest things to do in the modern consumer economy is to build and maintain audience. And I think that some of these modern media brands and creators and influencers that have done that at scale is really incredible. I hear your point that for the content companies, probably doing the hardest part of the consumer equation, that that's really valuable. But I think something that has surprised us and is a real reality check is, I think people assumed it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, creating product that's like, you know, a commodified approach or business. And you just create product and you could slap a logo on it and then just get it in the hands of the consumer. I think a lot of that was assumed to be, it's pretty straightforward. Turns out that's not the case. And we've covered this in, in, I think, in some of our past podcasts where being able to deliver product in a timely way where consumers are and doing it in a way that's also really capital efficient is not easy to do. And that's why we believe companies like Amazon and Walmart have a really significant advantage in this new content and commerce economy. The second thing, Andrew, that you said I think is really interesting is, yes, traditionally the commerce companies have had more capital to invest in buying media companies versus the other way around. But I do wonder, again, with everything we've talked about with the IP wars and more demand for content from all the streamers and through licensing deals and co-productions, are these media companies start going to be having better balance sheets that's going to allow them to invest and acquire more commerce companies to support their overall stack, 
might be something that we see flip over the next 18 months, you know? Definitely agree that the actual nuts and bolts of commerce is way harder than you might think just getting into it. And I think you look at that partnership with Walmart and Barstool, I think it's a perfect example of why a partnership makes so much sense. It's really like only a brand like Barstool can have their first ever frozen pizza that is selling you know, through the roof in the first week. And only with a media machine like that can you accomplish that. But only with a commerce juggernaut like Walmart could you actually fulfill the execution of that demand nationwide like they've been able to do. So yeah, it's definitely two very divergent expertises, but that complement each other through a really unified customer journey and funnel. And so overall, I mean... Like I said, I, I don't think that necessarily one is going to to win out. We'll probably keep seeing bets being taken on build outs and acquisitions, but definitely partnerships are most reliable. They will persist. Don't see them going away anytime soon. Uh, but what do you think in terms of where this all goes and does one model win out? Well, I think, Andrew, I think we're at the end of our time here. So I'm going to have to say we'll probably need a follow-up podcast to kind of check in on this. And until next time. See you then.